Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm your co-host, Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, is Adam Pawatic. We've got a really interesting show today with two very fascinating guests with a really kind of what I would call just a, just, a, just a great sort of look into just the changes of what's transpiring in the commercial real estate community at large. I think if I just introduce them, you'll understand it's Paul Shala, who's the founder of Delos and the founder of the International Well Building Institute. And with him is Brandon Crombeam, who is currently the president of Delos. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We're looking forward to this conversation. Great to be with you. For having us. So, Brandon, no offense, but you're going to have to take a back seat. I think you appreciate that. You're the current president, which is, I mean, impressive in its own right, but you're not the founder. So, I think we have to start with the founder and then and then work our way backwards or forwards, however you want to think about it. You know, Paul, quite impressive, right? The founder of two very, um, I don't know how to even describe them, right? Altering institutions within our environment, right? You're in a you're in a world where uh, it wasn't that um, focused in the commercial real estate community. A couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden, I suspect your your phone's ringing off the hook on a daily basis. Maybe just start from the beginning. Like, how did you end up in this community, working on these projects or founding these ent- entities? What was the precipice? What got you going to start this? You know, by way of background, I spent 18 years on Wall Street prior to all this. The last 10 at Goldman Sachs. I was a partner of the firm there, and uh, you know, a few years before leaving Goldman, I uh, took note of the green building and environmental sustainability movement and how much that had taken hold, but wondered if there wasn't a huge gap in thought with regards to the focus primarily all on environmental and planetary issues in terms of how our buildings impact the environment, but didn't seem to be really enough focus on all the people we put inside our buildings. Uh, We spend over 90% of our lives indoors, our homes, offices, schools, hotels, what have you. So it was uh, interesting to consider merging the world's largest asset class, real estate, with the world's fastest growing and arguably most important industry, health, wellness, prevention, nowadays even health safety. So effectively, that kind of kickstarted the process. We've been merging the health sciences with the building sciences for about a decade. And the first half of that was all research. We assembled leadership from the world-renowned Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, and gosh, over 300 medical practitioners of different disciplines, got them together with real estate professionals of all types, owners, operators, developers, occupiers, architects, engineers, HR professionals, to basically best understand our indoor environment and its impact on people, on the human condition. And during that process of about five years of initial research and over $100 million of our initial capital was a a massive effort to put structure to this notion of a well-building movement or a wellness real estate industry. We studied everything you could possibly imagine that surrounds people inside of any type of space, an office, a home, a restaurant, a hotel, what have you, air quality, water quality, lighting, thermal elements, acoustics, biophilic elements, surface and cleaning protocols, HR policies, operational guidelines, all of these directly mapped to our respiratory, cardiovascular, immune, cognitive, digestive, and sleep health outcomes. And that was really that structure and that original body of work that led to the formation of the well-building standard, which we'll get into, and all of the other programs that Dalos puts forth from a, a programming and solution standpoint. But you know, in layman's terms, 
think of any indoor space and how that's directly impacting your energy levels, your sleeping patterns, your mental acuity, your cognition, your performance, your and your true chronic health outcomes. And it, upwards of 70% of all chronic health outcomes are determined not by genetics. That's about a 5% input. Not by lifestyle. That's about a 20, 25% input. But by what surrounds us. Our surrounding environmental and social conditions are the biggest determinant to health. Clearly, as you could probably imagine, once we introduced the well-building standard in 2015, it started to scale rapidly. And in fact, that is today the world's largest certification platform for healthy buildings. Uh, We're in 108 countries, covering over 3 billion square feet of commercial real estate around the world, all types of clients, large and small, about uh, 20% of the Fortune 500 in terms of enterprise occupiers, most of the world's largest landlords and commercial real estate participants all the way down to a coffee shop and everything in between. So the well standard really took off as that kind of third-party benchmark for health and wellness in the built environment. And then again, to your point with COVID uh, hitting and the onset of the pandemic, most of what we've been doing both at Delos, at the enterprise level, and inside our International Well-Building Institute has moved quickly into more of a must-have from a nice-to-have overnight. I want to emphasize that. This didn't start, you know, March... 2020 or April 2020, you've been working on this for a decade prior to this. Yeah, correct. And it was fascinating to, you know, the early days getting doctors together with architects and designers. I remember one of the original meetings just to kind of uncover and understand if these two industries had ever really collaborated, if you will, or conversed. The questions we posed were as follows. Doctors, architects, designers, operators, if you guys could dream it up, Given we're spending 90% of our lives inside of a box called four walls and a roof, if you could dream it up, what types of things could we do to introduce preventative medical intentions into the way we design and operate our buildings? And I recall the two groups hearing that question, looking at each other like it was the first time they were ever having a conversation, which was pretty telling to think, wow, the health sciences and the building sciences never really converged We have a massive opportunity here to put structure and form and take an evidence-based approach to connect the built environment with the human condition. That's really what kickstarted the process. And and yeah, this has been quite a long journey of uh, of research and science and industry consensus, which has led to the broad adoption of the well standard. So I think the best way to approach this is is chronologically, because this is the the origin story, of course. When you did your first round of, you know, in-depth research and and medical testing, how scary were the results? If if somebody's sitting right now in a, you know, a a mediocre managed building from the the 60s, how concerned should they be about the impact on their life? Well, some of the things were quite telling right from the word go. And again, this is all pre-pandemic, but when you look at air quality, for instance, regardless of the type of building, age, size, size, location, in general, Indoor air quality is approximately four to five times worse than outdoor air quality, basically anywhere in the world. It's, it's, you know, there's no ventilation inside. You've got obviously all these elements of toxins and pollutants and off-gassing, but the air doesn't circulate. So you know, indoor air quality has been a huge issue for decades, if not a couple centuries. And so you know, focusing on filtration mechanics way before the need to do so because of a pandemic, was a big priority for the well standard. Uh, we also saw the impacts of artificial lighting and how disruptive 
artificial light it has become to our 24-hour sleep-wake cycles, basically getting exposure to high lux, high temperature, bluish, whitish type of light late in the evening, which is tricking our body into thinking it's still noon through our circadian optic nerve, which takes in peripheral light and darkness is the only thing that tells your body what time of day it is. So we saw the disruption of lighting. We saw the need for indoor air quality to be a, a much bigger focus. Some of the obvious things, other ones like, like, like water quality, what have you, but then even into the operational components of how buildings are operated or how organizational policy is put forth. It was quite telling early on, and we realized we had a very, very large opportunity to apply, again, an evidence-based approach to create a set of standards and protocols uh, to lead to healthier indoor environments, regardless of whether you're in a 1960s building or, or a modern one. Paul, spoiler alert, this is the first of a number of podcasts we're going to release on this topic. I had an opportunity to interview or, or do a pre-call with your chief medical officer recently who worked on a component, or I think he called it a module of you know, health and well-being for GRES. I'm, I'm bringing that up only because, I mean, there's a lot of these different types of building certifications out there, whether it's Wired Score or obviously Leeds and BOMA and, and then GRES. What was it like kind of bringing another one or did you find it challenging? Is that kind of why it took so long? Was COVID a big push to get it more adopted or was this more welcome than it just it took COVID or a pandemic to really bring it to the forefront as far as a focus for landlords and tenants? Yeah, we found it quite easy actually to kind of introduce this brand new kind of topic of thought, particularly because the human condition is universal anywhere in the world. As we saw all these bifurcated green building ratings around the world, we kind of took a unifying approach to overlay the well-building standard on top of all of them, whether it's Briam in Europe, Three Star in China, Green Star in Australia, obviously LEED. We, in fact, hired the founding chairman and CEO of the U.S. Green Building Council, Rick Fedrizzi, who started the LEED movement 20 years ago. Rick ran that organization for 15 years and came over to help run our International Well-Building Institute. When Rick looked at this, he said, my goodness, you guys have the entire other side of the coin here, the second chapter of sustainability, the focus on human or biological sustainability in the built environment to complement all of the continuing focus on environmental and green issues. So we found a seamless process to apply a crosswalk and demonstrate that the green building movement is something that's perfectly complementary to the well building movement, but taking the well standard and well certification as a complementary rating it was quite unique and it was a completely open space. And the fact that we put over $100 million of research capital aligned with world-renowned institutions and spent five years putting it into an industry consensus format, I think really led to immediate traction. We were at about a billion and a half square feet in the ensuing years prior to the pandemic. And then clearly with the focus now and the need for third-party verification of health and well-being, and even health and safety protocols with our newly launched Well Health Safety Rating, we're seeing that that adoption curve continue to accelerate. Let's keep the conversation going. Sorry, Adam, to cut you off. You're no longer necessarily heavily involved in IWBI. And what was the precipice or the transition into Zalos? Zalos is the parent organization of all of this. It created a wholly owned subsidiary called the International Well Building Institute in 2015 when we launched the standard. We set up its own separate governance as a product agnostic industry rating engine. And Fedrizi came over to run that. And while I am obviously founder of the International Wellbuilding Institute, I also operate as founder and CEO of Delos, of the parent, whereby once we set up the governance of the well standard, 
we felt that Delos itself was in a position to go further, to zoom into very specific products, solutions, technology, programming, anything that's a good health intervention for any type of space, air filtration technology, water filtration technology, active green wall technology, and even a smart, healthy automation platform and a layer of wellness intelligence, if you will, for building management systems and smart home, turning kind of smart building into smart, healthy building with a whole library of algorithms and science behind that. So yes, on the day-to-day, we've got a great team at the International Well Building Institute. I remain heavily involved. I constantly are um, uh, speaking with with enterprise clients and, and large landlords and, and, and helping them through the whole well platform. We're seeing a ton of demand for the well certification and well ratings uh, as it pertains to ESG reporting, material reporting on human capital and management, social capital management, you know, all the things that land in that S bucket of ESG. But also we're, we're pushing on the Delo solution side. We opened up a, um, a Canada effort that Brandon leads that is really kind of focused on very specific approaches having nothing to do with certifications or ratings in terms of health improvements, uh, anything for a bedroom, for a living room, for a classroom, for an office environment, products, solutions, programming, and tech that can up the ante on the health uh, efficacy of those spaces. Let's talk about entering into you know, the Canadian marketplace. When did that occur along you know, your growth pattern? How far were you into having you know, traction? And I think this is probably the point of the story where the, the spotlight will shift uh, shift to Brandon. But Paul, if you can describe at what point you decided that uh, you had to have Canada under, under this umbrella that you were building. Yeah, from the onset in 2015, we saw good leadership out of Canada and a lot of great folks, uh, organizations, both on the enterprise occupier side and also on the the asset side or the landlords, starting to get their buildings well certified and moving towards portfolio adoption, what have you. We came across a really strong team, folks uh, up in Canada, Brandon included, that we felt we could take the Dale of Solutions side of the equation further and also continue to push the adoption of well throughout Canada. So while we saw um, good adoption early, you know, back in 15, 16, 17, what have you, and beyond, I think the efforts here, you know, leading into 2019 and 20, obviously a weird, an odd time to form a subsidiary, if you will, but also an, an opportune time because, again, everything we have been doing is smack in the middle of relevance for everyone. So it's been really a good process and, and a great thing to see localizing our services and efforts uh, in Canada has led to even more and increased rapid adoption of our various programs. And and Brandon could speak more to that. And for the record, I think for most of our listeners, though, they're familiar that First National is moving offices soon, hopefully very soon, into 16 York University, 16 York in downtown Toronto from 100 University. And it is a well certified building and, and something that was that was very much welcomed by our staff and team. Brandon, maybe let's transition. We haven't done your background story yet. So why don't you just kind of tell us how you got into real estate, how you ended up as the president of Delos? Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. And a bit of an interesting background. I actually uh, played professional hockey for for 10 years. While I was playing, I got my degree in finance and, and actually spent the better part of five years interning and working with Graybrook Realty Partners, who I transitioned to, to work with them for uh, the previous six years before taking the role with Delos. So as Paul noted, you know, Graybrook was one of the groups that was uh, involved in, in the partnership of bringing Delos. And I was lucky enough to be, be heavily involved in that process and, and was quite excited when the opportunity presented itself. When did you join Delos and, and what was it that was just such a, so attractive to you? 
Yeah, so we officially launched Delos at the start of the year, January 1st, 2021. As we were kind of looking into it, I think, you know, there's a few fold factors. Obviously, given what happened with the pandemic, I think everyone had a heightened awareness around how do we create healthier spaces and, and how and what can we look to. And as we started doing some of the research on that, obviously very quickly learned and realized the position Delos had and the international world building had in that space and, and really looked at them as, you know, the industry leader and, you know, thought it was a great opportunity to partner with them again, kind of from the Canadian perspective, seeing the green building sustainability movement, how Canadians got behind it, Canadian corporations, enterprises, et cetera really adopted that and, and were leaders in the world in terms of that adaptation and, and making those changes over a, a very long period of time. We thought that, again, as Paul noted, this was really kind of that next movement. We spend so much time indoors. And again, when you really hear that statistic for the first time that you spend 90% of your time indoors, it really opens your eyes to start thinking about, you know, air quality, water quality, movement, all of the uh, factors that impact our health and and so often go un, unthought of. So again, as we started unpacking that, it, it became very evident that, you know, we thought this was a very exciting time and, and movement to join and be part of. So let's talk about the, the Canadian focus. I mean, the example that Aaron just gave, you know, is our building being uh, well certified. You know, this is a brand new build owned by a pension fund with financial sector tenants. Of course, that would be a prime category for wanting to seek a certification like this. But what about uh, you know the, the broader market of real estate? You know, is there an area where you've not yet had penetration, or it's just not at the forefront? But what's been your feeling for who highly values this, and you know, areas that still have you know, to improve? Yeah, so I can I can kind of answer that from a Canadian perspective, and, and then my poll add some color, you know, more deeply, but. You know, again, really, we've seen all industries, all types of assets, you know, kind of shift their focus to this. And again, I think it's been an interesting last 11 months that we've been at it in terms of people really trying to educate themselves and understand the space. Obviously, it's not something that many enterprises had spent, you know, the last years and had teams built out to really kind of understand the health and well-being impacts of the real estate that they owned and, and managed or occupied. Again, it's been a very large education process in terms of unpacking all of the science, research, diligence, et cetera, Delos and the International Well-Building Institute have done to help inform these decisions and, and help, again, create healthier spaces. So, again, we haven't seen, as you've noted, obviously, you know, a large institutions, pension funds, et cetera, are oftentimes first movers in this space, but there really hasn't been an industry, an asset class that has pushed back and said, this isn't for us. Again, it's really kind of the one saying, I think Paul always says, if it has four walls and a roof, something that we can either rate, certify, or bring products and solutions forward to create a healthier environment. So I'm, I'm very happy you know, to, to hear that. Uh, so maybe we'll switch back to Paul then when there was more of a push to, to spread this kind of message. I guess you're, you're seeing wide adoption now, especially, of course, in a pandemic context. But when you were first getting momentum who were the earlier doctors and uh, and who were the, the laggards in, uh, in caring about this uh, this aspect of building management it was pretty widespread from the onset back to 2015 whether it's your large you know pensions and and folks with AUM and, and and assets that happen to obviously be real estate your large landlords but also similarly occupiers large and small enterprise organizations all the way down to like I said you know small restaurants bakeries nail salons all the way up to airports and shopping malls uh, 
clearly the commercial office landscape is huge and, and continues to adopt significantly. I, I think what we've seen here is um, the learning curves evaporated, uh, particularly when you think of the onset of the pandemic. In fact, we had industry groups uh, across the world come to us and say, listen, the well standard and all of its rigor and science is an incredible body of work, covers everything you can think of across a building environment in terms of what, what hap- what's happening indoors, both structurally and operationally. That said, can you help us with zooming into health and safety protocols, whereby the full well standard is obviously something we want to get to, but we need something right now that's a third-party verification of health and safety protocols as it pertains to pathogen concerns and other elements of emergency preparedness. And thus, we moved quickly. In the first four months of the pandemic, we assembled a massive task force led by U.S. Surgeon General Richard Carmona, Dr. Stacy Riza, who's chief of staff up at Mayo Clinic, and over 500 virologists, behavioral scientists, public health experts, all convened. And what we did was pull 15 features forward out of the original 100 in the full well standard to create the well health safety rating, which is a third-party document review for any organization across their portfolio of these various inputs, continuity planning, emergency preparedness, health services, air and water quality management and optimization, and cleaning protocols. And that thing, it started to scale once it was launched the summer and fall of 20. You know, I think what we've seen is a a shift of focus with zero learning curve. It's more of a necessity now to have some form of third-party verification. But quickly, during that process and what we're seeing today is it's all ESG. There is such a focus on material reporting, third-party verification on uh, these parameters, these KPIs across ESG, and the S bucket, which is you know, a little bit vague and, and has not been as meaningfully defined as the E bucket of ESG, E being covered with certainly elements of the green ratings, et cetera, et cetera, as it pertains with, to real estate. But we are seeing well be positioned as that material reporting mechanism for human and social capital management, obviously getting credits into systems like GRESB and others, uh, mapping really nicely to the UN sustainability goals and, and the KPIs across the board, across all the various ESG platforms. So we're seeing right now all of the relevance really be more of an ESG play as opposed to a pathogen response. But in all of that, it's an evaporated learning curve. I don't think that you're going to find too many people over the last two years that haven't really woken up to one simple concept, which is, and unfortunately it took a global pandemic to, uh, to bring this to light, but a simple concept that what surrounds us matters. What we touch matters, what we breathe matters, at times when, how we gather indoors matters. And that simple relationship between you and what surrounds you is what the well-building movement and the Delos Enterprise has been, been about for about 10 years. It's been widespread adoption from the onset, but certainly the momentum is huge at this point. You know, Brandon, as I listen to Paul talk, Paul's obviously been doing this for a long time and is uh, the founder. And so sort of the, the brains that, that figured this all out, put it together, and then, of course, sort of brought it, brought it to market, so to speak. Brandon, as you've been kind of learning the curve, I, I listened to some of the words that come out of Paul's mouth, like pathogens, and, and a lot of sort of scientific speak that is over my head as a, as a real estate sort of, I don't know, I want to say expert, just a real estate nerd. <laughs> what's, your, what's your learning curve been like? Have you been you know, reading white papers on sort of science studies that you'd never thought you'd find in a, your real estate career? Again, as you noted, quite steep learning curve. And I mean, again, really, you know, taking a step out of real estate as, as you know, and and often think about it, but 
again, one of the great things that Delos and the International Well Building Institute have, and, and obviously led by Paul's direction and insight, is you know all of the research and science and findings to support that. So again, it's it's really made it a a fairly efficient learning curve in terms of being able to understand the effects that the building environment has on our on our health, and B to be able to you know bring that down and unpack that for people that aren't used to again, some of those terms and, and how and why you might want to consider these things. So again, having all of those white papers, research, science, and, and a great team behind that, you know, again, is happy to hop on and, and join calls and help unpack these things has made it very efficient. What is the lowest hanging fruit? Like, I mean, I, I got a Cadillac Fairview being, you know, the landlord of the first national, you know, new headquarters and, and obviously a very major institution, very, very sophisticated I'm sure it's a much deeper dive for them to figure out how they can implement these products, the solutions that you offer. But let's say I own a 1960s circa office building or apartment building. I guess it doesn't really matter. Like you said, if there's four walls and a roof and I call and I say, Hey, I just, I know that this is important. I don't have the institution or the infrastructure to you know go full out on this. Yep. What should I do to be conscious of it? Like what is the lowest hanging fruit? And I'll use like environmental, like, you know, of course we work with, the federal government on lots of sort of environmental initiatives through CMHC. And it's simple things like aerator faucets, replace the low flow toilets, put in halogen lighting, like really kind of simple stuff that any landlord can institute or sort yeah. of implement. What are the things that come to your list when you get those phone calls? That's a great question, Aaron. I would say there's two low hanging fruit here, you know, elements that could be deployed immediately that can scale across an entire portfolio. One is, is certainly the health safety rating. That's a stepping stone to the full well certification process. That is something that gets you material reporting and credit uh, in the SNG landscape. But here's the point. It's a document review process that can be covered or can cover an entire portfolio. So whether you have a thousand buildings or 10 buildings or one building, it's a verification of health and safety protocols, primarily, again, on your organizational policy and operations and management. There's no CapEx requirement. There's no physical on-site assessment, what have you. It's an online portal for the third-party document review performed out of Washington, D.C. That's our GBCI document review uh, 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 folks. They, they perform the same service for all of LEED certification around the world. And you know, with that one process, you can have earned that well health safety rating, that symbol of confidence, that seal on the front entrance of every one of your assets. It's a two-week review period once documents are submitted. It's a very low economic across... Um, you know, a large portfolio of buildings, you're down to a couple hundred dollars per building, per asset. The SEAL's got a date on it. It's an annual designation. And it's being promoted quite heavily, having achieved over 4 billion media impressions in the United States on national television ads, 30 national networks, all of the, the, the main networks, with a very large campaign of public awareness, the Look for the Well SEAL campaign, uh, whereby we combine people of reach and influence with people of credibility and science and put out a very large kind of public service announcement type of of promo. That is the first rung of the ladder that can be enacted today. That can Our, our, our team can help any organization uh, upload the documents required to satisfy the features of the health safety rating. And, uh, and again, it's a very low cost, low touch. So I'd say certainly that category we're seeing um, significant adoption and immediate adoption of. It's a great return element. It's a good confidence builder for employees. It's a great communication mechanism from employer to employee or from building owner or location to customer, patron, what have you, across the retail channels, that is definitely, again, a first rung of the ladder. I'd say separately, 
And distinctly from that whole process, what we're also seeing immediately scale and, and tons of volume therein are air filtration solutions. Uh, and particularly localized filtration, which happens to be twice as efficient than anything you'll ever be able to do in your HVAC or ducts. Even if you get to a MERV 13 in the ducts, uh, you're only about 50% efficient on indoor aerosolized particle transmission because it's coming from occupants. It's not coming from, from outside the building where air is getting ventil- uh, filtered before it, before it gets ventilated in. So we've got standalone solutions, a device the size of a small fan, plugs into the wall, gets you 99.997% efficiency, all the way down to 0.007 microns. That's 40 times smaller than where a HEPA filter is rated. That captures ultrafine smoke particles, every pathogen known to man, viruses, molds, uh, spores, obviously PM10, PM2.5. But that approach to taking a standalone solution into any space immediately and applying localized air filtration, a device the size of a small fan, again, plugs into the wall, can be floor placed, wall mounted, desk placed, what have you. We're seeing that scale enormously. In fact, ALOS quickly become in the US, the nation's largest solution provider for public school classrooms, having put over 250,000 of these devices into public school classrooms across the country. So localized air filtration solutions, immediately scalable and deployable, and the health safety rating, which is that third-party verification of health and safety protocols. Those would be the two that, that are right in front of people for the taking. Uh, Brandon, since you've got visibility on the, on the Canadian market, I'm going to ask you this one. But uh, you know, Paul mentioned a couple of times there, return or, or the relationship between you know, landlord and investor. I can't remember exactly what you used, but let's talk about the, the value of certification in enhancing returns or, or managing you know, investment assets. Because, of course, certification is a, is a great way of, of saving a whole lot of time describing the standard that your building operates at. So what kind of feedback do you get from groups who are really focused on the, you know, the, the return aspect of their investments and the value this brings to them, you know, the business case for, for having this? What's the kind of feedback that you're getting? It's twofold. I mean, obviously, there's kind of the hard stuff statistics in terms of the, the return on investment, whether it's less sick days, more productive at, at the office, et cetera, et cetera, that obviously we have a number of case studies and details that we've done on that and, and can share those details with anyone that's interested. But I think, again, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, in many instances, it's starting to become kind of a requirement. You know, A, to get employees back into offices, to encourage people to feel safe coming back into public spaces, et cetera, et cetera. You know, having this third-party verification and letting, you know, occupiers, tenants, guests, et cetera, know that you've met that standard is obviously a key factor to get people comfortable coming into spaces. And then again, from the other side of the angle is, is really around the ESG and kind of the branding that, again, the, the building owner or tenant wants to be able to go out and speak to what they're doing to address ESG concerns. And as Paul, you know, touched on earlier, really that social aspect. Yeah, no, I, I do feel crass, of course, making about money, but a large part of our audience, of course, is managing assets for a return aspect. And there is a business case to be made for it. We're almost at a time here. And so I think that, you know, for kind of concluding thoughts, maybe we'll focus on on what's next. I mean, obviously, uh, Dalos, the well, you know, well bullet building certification that both had, you know, a big boost because of COVID was putting a, an intense spotlight on on um, you know, the way that we uh, live inside uh, structures. What's next? I mean, you know, what's what's the five year outlook look like? What's the goals? Maybe we'll get, to, get it from both of you, but maybe we'll start with uh, Paul. 
Yeah, I think, look, one good thing could come out of this horrific global environment with an ongoing mutating pathogen concern, primarily indoors, right, is, is that heightened focus on the understanding that, you know, we need to pay attention to and we can optimize the elements that surround us, not just from a pure health and safety standpoint, but from an overall health, well-being and longevity standpoint. The impact that the surrounding conditions around you have on your energy levels, your street sleeping patterns, your productivity levels, your overall sense of health and well-being, not to mention the very specific impact these elements have on your chronic health outcomes, the way you breathe, <laughs> uh, you know, your respiratory, cardiovascular, immune, cognitive, digestive outcomes. The, the fact that we can use this as kind of that watershed moment of heightened focus really gets me quite encouraged as to the forwards here. The well-building movement is here to stay. It's certainly something that took a lot of effort, merging again the health sciences with the building sciences to put the right evidence-based thought and structure to. But this is not only good for people and occupants, this is a massive economic story. Guys, when you take a $4 trillion annual spend, health, well-being, longevity, prevention, what have you, and infuse that industry into real estate, you're creating a tremendous value proposition. We're seeing arbitrage. We're seeing hotel rooms infused with our health and wellness programming, the stay well rooms, immediately generate 20% ADR premiums after a one-day conversion and upgrade to have these features in there. It's an eight-week break-even on the CapEx. I mean, you're talking about disrupting real estate cash flows by upwards of 20% with a one-day intervention and an eight-week break-even. That's unheard of. So this wellness real estate proposition is an economic proposition. It's a societal proposition. And particularly with folks understanding the importance of certain things here that have shocked and disrupted all of our lives. I mean, look, I bet you if you asked 100 people in the developed world two years ago about indoor air quality, you probably would have had one out of 100 people have a thought, care, concern, opinion, or even knowledge that indoor air quality is two to five times worse than outdoor air quality, forgetting the issues of a pandemic and a pathogen concern. That number today is 99 out of 100 people. I bet you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone on, on any corner of the developed world on earth that has not at least had a second thought about how safe or clean the air might be inside of a place that they're about to walk into. That's the upshot of this shock to the environment. And, you know, to kind of use a a similar type of um, analogy, and again, a horrific, a horrific event that really changed things overnight. Go back to 9-11. That horrific event, okay, happened 20 years ago, and, and even though we hadn't had that same type of event since, that changed security overnight. And security is still different 20 years later because of that. And I recall when Fadrizi told me, you know, when we were talking uh, the onset of the pandemic, he said, Paul, I've seen this before with Hurricane Katrina and the green building movement, as soon as environmental disaster became front and center, top of mind to the general public, it's when the green building effort really took off and you saw lead adoption explode after 2005. And he said, I actually, I predict this will be 50 times bigger of a watershed event for the well building movement than what we saw with lead. And, you know, that's starting to prove out. But I, I think the forwards here are, from an optimistic lens, are forwards whereby we can look back maybe decades from now and say, Geez, remember when we didn't consider the human condition when designing and operating these spaces that we spend 90% of our time in? Hopefully, wellness real estate just becomes normal real estate. And hopefully, 
uh, programs like the well certification platform become mainstream as they are already becoming, but not because it's uh, a forced adoption, but because it's an economic proposition and a societal one. And, uh, and, and we see that as norm going forward. You know, Paul, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you talked about it before about the, how the learning curves kind of flattened, you know, and whether it's mutually beneficial or win-win, you know, the economic discussion no longer has to occur, right? Like you don't have to walk into a boardroom or a board of directors or whatever it may be and, and try to convince them that an investment in this is better for their bottom line. Everybody now has bought into that or at least understands the economics. And so uh, yeah. it's almost a perfect storm for you with just now that you no longer have to have that uphill battle to get buy-in on these types of things. Brandon, let's go to you for that same kind of question, but really maybe on a Canadian focus, you're kind of new to the role or you know, about a year in as a president of Delos in Canada. What does that five-year horizon look like? What is the growth strategy and, and where do you see yourselves taking this company? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously what we're trying to, to replicate is a lot of the success that Paul and team have seen in the U.S. and, and other parts of the world that they've been you know, active in for, for longer periods of time. And again, I think one of the things I always point out, you know, when kind of speaking of where things will go is, you know, kind of Delos and the International Well-Building Institute's position based on research and science. So again, they're always at the forefront, they're always reviewing new products, technologies, ways to create healthier spaces and tie all of that together. Again, one of the most exciting parts of the company, even in the short time I've been there, is there's always new things that are being reviewed and brought to the forefront. It's not kind of a stagnant company that says this is the product or solution or pathway. And there's a lot of diligence and and process that goes into that. It's not jumping from spot to spot, but really being at that forefront of the science, research and evidence, you know, allows us to ensure that we are bringing forth the best product solutions and, and creating those healthier indoor environments. So again, tying that back to Canada, obviously a big part of what we've spent our first year doing is really getting out, educating the marketplace in terms of you know who we are, what we can provide, and again, a lot of that science research and diligence. And again, you know, really have a focus on you know all aspects of the market and and trying to get that broad buy-in in terms of you know creating healthier spaces, whether that be through certifications or ratings, or whether that be through product solutions, et cetera. I think we are out of time, but for the listeners, if you if you feel like there's aspects of this that we did not cover, good news, as Aaron already teased, we are gonna we're gonna revisit this. You know, it's highly topical right now. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get back into their offices. This is a multi-podcast of focus because this is a big topic. It can be new to to a lot of people. There is more coming, but at least to set the stage, I really enjoyed the conversation today with uh, with both Paul and Brandon. I want to thank you both uh, for joining us. Uh, after this, Aaron and I will be doing an after show to, to share our thoughts as well. So please stay tuned. But in the meantime, Brandon, Paul, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having us, guys. And thanks for the opportunity to continue to spread the word and um, look forward to, to the next set of, of podcasts. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great conversation. Thanks. Really appreciate you taking the time. Great. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where Adam and I kind of digest the conversation we just had. You know, you and I are having, I, I mean, I guess the first four years that we were recording these podcasts, we might have had one on a topic similar to this. And then now in the past six months, we've probably done five, right? Like you can just, if that's a proxy for interest or velocity, there's clearly way more noise for lack of a better term, around 
ESG in general, this just being one component of it. I mean, uh, it was interesting to hear Paul talk about how this is really the S of it, right? That it kind of contributes more to the social bucket in ESG, which is probably true because it's really more about just the well-being and the health of the individual, which I guess is less environmental from a macro perspective, more micro-environmental, which I guess is the social side, the human being aspect. But obviously, as they all, they both indicated, so much movement and just growth, right? You don't have to walk in and be like, here's why you should do this. And here's how it's going to impact your bottom line. Like you're no longer having that conversation. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to look for silver linings, you know, in COVID is forced people to look at a number of aspects of their life, how they work and, you know, where they work being huge parts of it. In the absence of obviously all the the carnage of, of COVID, if you told me in 2019, something's going to happen that's going to drastically ramp up everybody's focus on having really healthy work environments, I would have said, that's great. You know, that's, uh, that's fantastic. From that aspect, it is good. This is in the sphere. Everybody's nobody not contemplating this kind of, this kind of, of way of working. I didn't mention it during the podcast. I thought it might be insulting or perceived as insulting, but you know, this is the biggest transition in inside air quality since somebody said, huh, Maybe we shouldn't smoke indoors, right? Like, you know, like it's that, it's yeah. that drastic. And I, I almost feel like that whole, like, and it's part of generational, right? Because like a lot of the people that are still the decision makers that are running a lot of these organizations are old enough to remember when everybody was smoking indoors and they might just go, well, we're not smoking indoors. So like, it's, it's so much better, right? But then, I mean, like Paul was saying, like, it's, it's still really, really bad air quality. Yeah, you're right. It's not full of secondhand smoke. So yeah, congratulations. But I feel like that was such a huge, huge transition. Like, I don't know if, if zero is the worst air quality and 100 is the best. Not smoking indoors was zero to 70, right? Like, it was that big of a difference. And now what we're doing with, with, with Delos and, and these initiatives is going from 70 to 98. So it's still not nearly as significant, but still very, very important for the health, well-being of, of the occupants and the, the occupiers. It's almost like smoking screwed us again, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, the gift that keeps on taking. Yeah, one aspect we didn't really get into. I mean, the idea being this is this applies to all buildings and structures. We didn't really uh, topic talk about it today, but maybe we will in the the next uh, go around on this topic. Is industrial buildings, you know, because we, we kind of focus on office because that's the environment that we work in and know. And you know, when we think about work, that's what we picture. But you know, air quality inside industrial buildings—that's a whole another whole another ball game. So I'd, I'd love to get into you know the next go around what you're doing to improve that space. Because there you could have, you know, manufacturing needs that just necessitate dramatically lower air quality rather than us sitting in a room full of computers typing away. Think about fulfillment centers or cross-dock facilities or anything that's got, you know, transportation connected to it where they're backing up these big trucks and particularly in the middle of February, they're not letting a whole bunch of draft out, right? They're trying to keep the warm air in and piping the car, the truck right in there. Some of them, I've seen, you know, done site inspections where there's like drive-through facilities where those trucks are coming in and sitting there idle for half an hour while they're getting loaded, right? Like those exhausts aren't going anywhere. So you're absolutely right. Like I think there's a whole other layer on the industrial component of this that probably, I mean, I wish we'd asked that because they probably said, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, we've got all these products and we're doing this across, <laughs> the, organ, across, the, across the globe, tackling these industrial challenges. But uh, yeah, definitely we'll put that on the list for questions for the next, uh, the next go around. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's it for for this uh, this first podcast. We'll do another after show for the next one too. The next one I'm really looking forward to as well. We're going to have a, a medical expert on to I think do a real deep dive on uh, some of the science behind this. That is it for this after show. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.
Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.